there is a library that exists at the nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. Everybody. Welcome to the Eternity Archives. Normally, we are a actual play TTRPG podcast, but because we're in between chapters right now, we are doing a tea time. This week for our tea time, we are going to be talking about game design. So before we do that, let's go ahead and um, introduce ourselves. My name is Ziva. My pronouns are she, her, and I usually play Linda, the human office lady. Uh, hi, my name is Dorka. My pronouns are also she, her, and I usually play Zen, the big buff lizard lady. And my name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them, and I play real Deidre Kell, who is the sad tiefling. Well, I don't know. They're not that sad right now. They're having a pretty good time. They're they go back and forth. Yeah, they're doing okay right now. They're an okay tiefling. Since we are talking about game design, let's go ahead for our listeners who maybe don't like follow us on Twitter or something like that. Let's go ahead and talk about what games we have done. So all of us have, in fact, done some game design in various forms. So I have done an entry in an anthology called Fat Self Care. I have done a Carta game called Theme Park After Dark, which is about exploring a theme park at night. And I've also done a game called Beneath the Wishing Tree, which is a game about using tarot cards to explore a forest and meet a unicorn to make a wish. The one game I have published is called Walk and Wag. It is a Carta game. It is a dog walking simulator, and it's wholesome and simple. And I have a whole bunch of other stuff constantly in the works. So maybe someday they'll see the light of day. And then, of course, I did most of Rats and Rocks with Ziva also pitching in to help me when it was like the night before. And I was like, help me. I, I have not finished. Um, and then I also made another Rats and Rocks game built on the Caltrop core engine, which was written by Titanomaki RPG. That's their handle on Twitter and on itch.io. So I built another Rats and Rocks game on that and it's called mall rats and caltrox and it's almost exactly the same except it's like in a weird eldritch it's very psychedelic i picked like a vaporwave aesthetic like (laughs) um for this like eldritch mall i don't know i haven't even played it i should i probably shouldn't say that but (laughs) (laughs) playtesting is for chumps Which I I shouldn't be of that opinion because I'm a QA tester and that's literally my job. So please <laughs> test your stuff and so I can have a job. <laughs> so um, we mentioned a whole bunch of different things that we're going to touch on in the course of this episode. But before we get into some of those like details about names you might not have heard of, let's go ahead and just talk like broadly about what inspired us to start designing and writing games. Um, I know that this is like a different answer for everyone, but what what inspired all of us? A lot of times for me, it's like there's something I want to play, some sort of theme, some sort of universe that I want to play in, and there's no existing game for that. So like the first time I tried to design a game, I was 
trying to design a system for Mass Effect. And I was basically like writing that into the mechanics of a different system. And it eventually got to the point where I was changing shit and making it my own in a lot of ways. That's an abandoned project, I'm afraid to say. So maybe I'll go back to it someday, but probably not. So I'm sorry, I'm not writing a Mass Effect RPG for you. <laughs> and Bioware lawyers set down their pens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's just sort of the thing where a lot of times it comes from stuff that I like, stuff that I'm interested in, and I want to play with those things. I've been GMing for a long time, obviously, like I've... I do it on the podcast, I've done it at home, in other games. Because of that, I've played a whole bunch of different games. And a lot of times, like, I'll be writing a campaign for, like, Dungeons and Dragons or something, and I'll be like, you know what? I don't like this mechanic. I'm going to pull something from a different game instead. And then stuff kind of gets layered on top of each other and stacked up, and I find mechanics that I like in some games and other mechanics that I like in different games. And eventually, like, you get to a point where you're like, you know what? I should just throw out this whole system, start from scratch, make my own game. <laughs> Dork is very extra that way. It's like baking, or I guess cooking, <laughs> not like baking. You should, I guess you, sh you could do that with baking, but it needs to be a little bit more scientific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me... um, I'm one of those people who's really driven both by my passions and and projects. So I've always like enjoyed writing and world building um, and playing around with like, how do you combine these elements to make something that's both like interesting and thought provoking and also just fun to play. And so it really got me going was two things. One was finding out about the fat self care project and applying because that's something I'm very passionate about fat positivity. Um, and it was just a it was just a very cool project. And I was like, awesome, I can write something for that. And then um, being sort of like reached out to by Kat about their um, Carta game jam. And I realized that it was a really great system for a game I'd already been wanting to sort of make that had been bouncing around in the back of my head about exploring a theme park, because that's another thing I'm really passionate about. As you all know, if, since you've heard the show before, I just love theme parks. For me, it's like there's a there's a intersection between opportunity and encouragement and uh, passion. And that's kind of what got me started designing games. And then I guess for me, uh, I wish I had a cool answer because honestly, I, I don't entirely know. I think just occasionally I get possessed by some wayward uh, tabletop spirit that just is like, you know what? You're going to be writing a game and I'm going to possess your body to do so. And then I get this flash of inspiration uh, once every blue moon. Um, usually it's inspired by uh, the indie TTRPG community is a bad influence. Our podcast sibling, Cat from Sword of Symphonies, is also a bad influence in that regard. Um, because they're a crazy person that can like smash out a game in like a weekend a day and or a, half. a day. Yeah, like a day. Yeah, like, I don't know. And I think all three of us have have or have tried to contribute to one of their many game jams at one point. So they've also influenced us in, in that respect as well. So yeah, I wish I could say, I don't know. I just think it'd be cool to make something that people like to play. But as I mentioned, I didn't even play the thing I made. So, <laughs> so that's something I, we have, I, I have to work towards, I think. <laughs> Bappy just goes into like a fugue state. And when they wake up, there's a written game in front of them. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I just go in, I start designing, I get really angry, and I just enter this rage-induced fugue state. And then uh, at the end of it, there's just a game manual that's uploaded onto itch. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you want rules to play with your toys, and there aren't some. And so you're like, I guess I'll make them up. Yeah, we're a household where uh, 5e is not the blanket answer to everything, because it sh- shouldn't be. <laughs> It That's like a be. whole nother podcast it episode. Shouldn't be. I don't care. I'll store Discord and shut it be. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings about the Dark Souls 5e, for example, but um, oh my God. I'm going to keep that on the DL. Sorry. Oh, sorry. What? A Dark Souls 5e? What makes that different from D&D then? <laughs> That's just fucking D&D except yeah. brown and gray and black. Yeah, you know, I I truly don't know when I heard the project and people were not just joking about Dark Souls 5e. I was like, the fuck? I'm sorry. Huh? It just makes me so what? angry. I just yeah. Oh. yeah, no no shade if you're one of the indie people who's had the opportunity to work on it because like who in our place wouldn't wouldn't be like, fuck yeah, I'll absolutely work on that. But um, Yeah, get, get that, that bread. bread. Yeah, <laughs> get that bread. Absolutely. Um but um, but yeah, I don't I don't get it. it. It does not appeal to me as a as a big fan of tabletop games and Dark Souls. I'm like, what? Huh? Why not Thirteenth Age? No, um, I'll stay focused. Um, okay, so <laughs> we've mentioned a couple terms that I actually want to go ahead and take a quick second to define in case you're not familiar with like the indie tabletop sphere. So let's go ahead and just real quick right off the bat, something that we've mentioned a couple times is itch. Um, that is a platform for um, indie designers of various sorts, usually computer games or tabletop games. It's a website where you can upload it and people can pay you a small amount of money and download it. Um, it's a really, really great place to find indie projects of various sorts. You may be familiar with the term um, itch bundle, for example. Um, A lot of times there's really big projects where people will pool all their games into a big bundle and you can pay like 10 bucks and download like 100 games or whatever. And usually those are for charity. And on that note, let's go ahead and talk about game jams as well, because that's something that's also very like tied into itch. I don't actually have a like a quick snappy definition for a game jam. Do, do either of you have strong feelings? So game jams, I don't know if tabletop started or video games started it, but I know at least for in my experience, I heard of it through video games first. So basically what game jams and video games is, you get a group of people, you get a set deadline of like, usually it's like a few days or something, and you just make a video game like with your little group as quick as possible. The whole idea is to practice your skills. So like you have a programmer, you have an artist, you have a, I don't know, a musician or something. And so kind of transferring that to tabletops, it's a similar idea. Uh, You don't necessarily need a whole team. I think with tabletops, because the resources maybe aren't as intensive to produce, it's easier just to have one person. And so like the Caltrop jam, I think that was like a week or something like that. And so you just had a week to make a Caltrop core game. Yeah, usually there's like one uniting theme or or game that you're supposed to work with. Yeah, and it's just TLDR. It's a specified amount of time and you just make a game. Yeah, that was like you hit the nail right on the head. And also thank you for using the word video game because I forgot it earlier and said computer game instead. (laughs) Like it's 1998. So I'm going to download some computer games on my Commodore. Who wants to play Myst? I keep entering game jams, but I'm really bad at like making those deadlines. But the one game I do have published that was for one of Kat's game jams, which was making a game in the Carta system. 
Yeah. So the Cardus system is um, written by our friend Kat, who we've mentioned a couple times from Sword of Symphonies, who also was on the show. And it is an SRD, um, which is, I I can never remember what SRD stands for, but it's basically like... I want to guess system reference document, but I I feel like... System reference document is correct. Oh, you're killing it tonight. (laughs) Um, You you took all of my brain cells. I've got one left. You've got Mm. the rest of them. So an SRD is basically sort of like a like a nice organized format of rules um, that lets you either run a campaign. So like if you're talking about like the 13th age SRD, for example, um, that helps you um, understand what the rules are. So when you're like, oh, shoot, how many points does this enemy have? You can go look it up on the SRD. In this case with Carta, um, it's an SRD that uses playing cards laid out in a grid to help players organize their play and to give players lots of scenarios that they can use so that they can play a game solo. So you'd flip over like the King of Hearts and the King of Hearts you look up in the game book and it says exactly what that scenario is and how you resolve it. So it's a really like nice system to create with because you get to do a lot of writing, but you don't have to think about the rules very hard. And it's a really nice system to play with because it's flexible to make solo friendly games, which is actually very challenging challenging to figure out the rules for on your own yeah rules are hard yeah that's why so many games these days don't have very many of them (laughs) i think that's a struggle i have is because like a lot of indie games are more rules light and not as crunchy but then like for me personally i don't like super crunchy like i'm not trying to make the next pathfinder or whatever and for people who don't know pathfinder is like D &D, but more (laughs) more numbers (laughs) um yeah and so i'm not trying to do like i'm not even trying to do anything as close as 5e which in the grand scheme of things, isn't really that crunchy, in my opinion, at least. But then it's like you have the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, his is a storytelling game and there are no dice, which we played. We played on this podcast and I'm trying to look for like a medium. I'm searching. One day I'll find the perfect game system for myself or I'll make it. I don't fucking know. Who who knows? <laughs> the wayward tabletop spirit comes and goes as it pleases. I cannot predict its uh, its schedule. So I think, Bappy, that you used Caltrap Core. That was an SRD as well, right? Yeah, it's meant to be a super rules light SRD because the intent was that uh, the person who made it, they were also new to game design. It uses a D4 and it's a very simple resolution system that's based on each number of the on the die. That's pretty much it. That's like the base thing. Uh, you just use D4 because it's kind of a underutilized dice and... I don't know. It's just meant to be easy and straightforward. Uh, like with D&D, you got the D20, you got lots of things to figure out, or even the D100, which is 25 times more than a D4. <laughs> so we keep referencing like SRDs and like using SRDs. So I would just want to clarify that like an SRD is generally like the rule set to a set of games, I guess, and not generally to like one game specifically. So like a lot of times people will write a game like using Carta as an example. Cat wrote a game using that system for the first time and then wrote an SRD sort of outlining that system and then put that SRD out into the world where other people could read the basic rule set and use that rule set to design their own games. So a lot of other game designers will do the same sort of thing where they will make a game and then they'll write an SRD for it so that other people can design games using the same system. 
And let me tell y'all, uh, every single time a designer does that, it's like it's like a little kiss from the tabletop gods. It is <laughs> a wonderful tool to be able to look at someone else who's already crunched the numbers, who's figured out what's balanced, who's figured out what's engaging and for how many people and how long it should go and so on and so forth. And then just be able to write the world and the flavor and tweak things where they feel right instead of being like, oh my God, I have no idea how to resolve combat in this because I just don't have strong feelings about it. Or I want to have a one player version of combat that feels as satisfying as it would at a table of four. How the hell do I do that? So um, SRDs are great. If you write a game and you make an SRD for it, you're officially my favorite. Thank you very much. Do you hear that? That's a little kiss from the tabletop gods. <laughs> <laughs> a little a little smooch. A little smoochy. <laughs> so um, we sort of talked about this kind of like roundaboutly, but I think now is probably a good time to go ahead and like actually ask and discuss formally. Um did any of the games that we've played so far on the Eternity Archives inspire you? And at this point, um, this is coming right, af- right after Wild Sea. So let's go ahead and keep it Wild Sea and Previous. Um, so like, what have we played? No spoilers. That- yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> um, and what have we played that's like been like interesting and inspiring to you while you've been doing your own game design? Oh, pretty much all of them, I would say. Like, there are some games where I play them and I'm like, oh, I really like this mechanic. Or, oh, I have a setting in mind that would work really well with this rule set. And then there are some games that we play and I'm like, okay, I would like to not use this mechanic in anything I do. Which uh, (laughs) is inspiring in the opposite sort of direction. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the games that we've played have an influence, at least if it's not literal, like I'm not like literally going to lift like fighting in spirit and use it in a game. Um, but like, why not? <laughs> oh, I might. Yeah, I guess why not? Um, that's not typically how I how I do my personal games. But um, but now that you mention it. But back on the topic, just in terms of the way that you think about mechanics and the way you think about role play, I feel like it's been personally anyway has been really influenced by the games that we play like every time we play a new game it changes my opinion on what makes a good game and what makes a good mechanic and what works well for crunch versus storytelling versus combat versus character building blah 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 on a more specific note, I am a huge fan of the magic system from Heroic Chord, and that's something that I'm working actively on building a game off of in the future using the um, Harmony Drive SRD, which is just the SRD that came from Heroic Chord. And I also, I'm just, I keep mentioning it as an example, but it's because I love it. I just love 13th Age, and so one of the things I would really like to be able to carry into some of my games in the future is especially the combat from that. And so I'm working also on some projects that are designed to basically be extensions to 13th Age, so you can add this class or this piece of world into your 13th Age campaign, because um, I think it's overlooked and I want everybody to love it as much as I do. Yeah, why don't we just stop? the attorney archives and just become a 13th age podcast (laughs) because there's so many other good games too we would never have done wild sea if we just stopped at 13th age i yeah okay why don't we become a wild sea podcast tempting but (laughs) (laughs) the silence went on for too long and i now know your true thoughts i guess for me like i mean i've talked about it before like yeah i I think we all really like 13th Age more than we expected. So I know for me, it was like, it wasn't the resolution system. What was it? It was like, you can choose your skill or something like that. Like just there's the backgrounds. I think so. I just like the flexible because like, for instance, in D&D, it's like, oh, if you roll perception, it's tied to this stat. 
forever. Whereas it's like in other games, I want to say like 13th age, you can be like, well, I think that this skill would actually help me with that. So I'm going to roll a dice for this. Well, that's because 13th age didn't have skills at all. Yeah, I don't remember anything, but I remember there's something, there's like a flexible thing with, specifically with the backgrounds, like you mentioned, and I like that. And I liked having that flexibility. Like, I don't like that, like, oh, if you're not, you know, strong or whatever, like physically strong, then you can't do shit. I mean, yeah, and like Heroic Horde had that too. And I'm sure a lot of other games we did had that as well, where you could pick the stat you wanted to roll as long as you could justify it. Whereas like with D&D, you don't justify, you just, it's very video gamey it's like hard-coded it's like well if you're doing persuasion it's charisma and there's nothing you can say otherwise or i guess you could but then you're not playing D D, and then that's a whole nother conversation that i will not get into <laughs> sorry i'm just a lot of unhinged energy tonight <laughs> So, uh, so Dorka, what about you? Well, I'm also working on a game using Harmony Drive, which is the mechanics from uh, Heroic Chord. So a lot of stuff from that one that I'm lifting. The Escalation die from 13th Age is just really great. And I think that can just be used in a lot of different stuff. So that's a specific mechanic that I really enjoy and will be using in the future. And even some of the like rules lighter games like Henshin, like I have stuff that I'm working on with like a rule set similar to that. So I got a lot of stuff on the pipeline right now. How many eggs are in your basket? I've got a lot of eggs in my basket, and they're all eggs found and taken from different games that we've played, so. Oh, so you're <laughs> like that one dinosaur that steals eggs from other dinosaurs. And I am Struthiomimus. Oh my god. See, of I was saying you know. that, and I was like, this isn't a real dinosaur. I think I just made it up. And then you're like, no, here's the fucking name. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> And yeah, that's you. You're gonna steal all these children and adopt them. Here's a sneak peek, friends. Most of my games involve dinosaurs. <laughs> and everyone has been delighted, including all of their five-year-old <laughs> children. You don't have to be a child to enjoy dinosaurs. <laughs> no, everyone but loves dinosaurs. every child has had a dinosaur phase. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, let's get back on the rails. Um, so We should make for- a TTRPG about trains. That doesn't sound fun. No, t- <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound. I mean, maybe someone out there thinks trains are really fun, but yeah, I don't think trains are terribly exciting. They could be interesting as a setting. Yeah, it def- definitely could be interesting. I'm going to build something off of this. The the spirit has Ooh, been now I instigated. Make a murder game that takes Ooh. place on a train, and you have to solve a murder mystery with like different stuff happening in different cars. Oh, that's yeah. Neat. See, look, we're designing game right here. <laughs> Just another egg in Dorcas' basket. <laughs> <laughs> so, for our listeners who've been listening to this, and they're like, "This sounds pretty cool, actually. Maybe I want to take this idea I've been tossing around, and maybe I want to design a game." What tools does someone need to start designing a game? I'd say for like game design, it's pretty similar to like writing a book or writing a story. It's like you have all the tools at your disposal, like your ideas are your tools. It's just where you kind of get those ideas from. So I'd say like, look at kind of like what we talk talking about. We've had mechanics that we like and that inspired us and we implemented into our games. I think that's always a good stepping stone first step. Just be like, I like this mechanic. I like this idea. You know, what happens if I just smush them together? I mean, that's like, 
one of the really beautiful things about tabletop games is that it is super accessible because it is just you're just writing down these rules and stuff. You you know you don't need to program anything. You need you don't need to do you know anything like that. Uh, probably having dice would be helpful, but even then, if you need to test resolutions for dice, if you're even using them, you can always just Google that. You know, there's a site that's like, here's the probability of rolling these dice and or even just rolling your own on Google or something like that. Yeah, I think that the amount of stuff that you need to get started is like incredibly low. You need a place to write your ideas down. That's really it. And you need a base understanding of whatever you're using for probability. Like you should know that D20 has 20 numbers on it. Uh, and how many cards are in a deck of cards or whatever. And it's like, other than that, you don't really need a ton to get started. If you want to sell your game, if you want to make your game look pretty, if you want people to play test it, those are, are things that you can add. But if you just want to like make a game to like play with your friends at your Friday tabletop meetup, you could just do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd also say that like, just if you play a lot of games, you're going to find it easier to design your own games because... The more familiar you are with like how these things generally go, the more you're going to have to draw from as you are doing your own thing. Yeah, absolutely. Having a familiarity and knowing what works and doesn't work around the table definitely makes a big difference. So um, in the interest of keeping this tea time length, let's go ahead and wrap it up with a final question here. What tips do you have for people who are, are interested in starting this adventure and writing their own games? So I have found in my uh, game design adventures, what I have a lot of trouble with is I end up with ideas and I'm like, okay, I have an idea, but where do I start like actually writing out the mechanics? This bit of advice, I am actually going to credit to Kat because they gave me this advice when I asked like a couple years back. Kat gave me three pieces of basic things to start with. And those are how are random outcomes determined? Can players lose the game and how? Which is basically like, is there are there hit points, anything like that? And what kind of things make the players different from each other? And so once you have like an idea, a setting in mind, those are the three things that are helpful to start with. Because otherwise it's just like, oh, do I write out the lore for my game? Do I figure out how the classes work? Do I figure out stats and skills? But if you start with those three things, like everything else sort of branches off of that. And I'd say as a continuation of that, um, be careful of content creep. Like, that's just going to be a thing whenever you're creating anything, whether it be a video game or a tabletop game or even like writing a story. You're going to get inspired for more things that you could put into your game. And that's just going to add more on you to balance, to write. Uh, you know, so on and so forth. And it's just going to bog your game down and possibly make it more complicated. So it's not like saying, oh, don't add anything else to your game once you figure it out. Like, of course, you can add stuff. But just be aware that more is not necessarily better. It's okay to keep it simple. Right. Yeah. For me, there's there's sort of like two pieces of advice that I found really helpful um, that I have to keep reminding myself when I start on a new project. One is you don't need to reinvent the wheel because of SRDs and the accessibility of the indie sphere and um, all the all the wonderful resources that are already out there. You don't have to design a game totally from scratch. 
sort of like Gary Gygax days of like pull this idea out of your brain and figure out how to turn it into a whole enormous manual are kind of gone in a lot of ways, which isn't to say that you can't do that. If that's what you want to do, go for it. But if you're like, I really want to make a game about X and combat is a piece of X, you don't have to come up with those combat rules on your own. There's something out there that probably is a really good fit for you. And the other thing is that you don't have to have a super elaborate, graphically intensive layout to make a pretty game that like looks nice. You don't have to have a layout at all. If all you want to do is type it up in a in a RTF document, power to you. Do whatever works for you. If you're making a game and you want the graphics to be a part of it, there's also a lot of really wonderful resources out there. This is not sponsored, um, though I wish it was. <laughs> um, I use Canva to do all of my game layouts because there's a lot of like free elements and beautiful fonts and um, nice spacing tools in there that then generate pretty looking PDFs that are just like easy to use. Also, we pay for it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we do. Actually, we use it a lot with the podcast. It's um, it's a very helpful thing to have. Canva sponsor um, us. Yeah, please sponsor us. That'd be awesome. But you don't have to do, you know, you don't have to have, um, you know, full page, beautiful illustrations of your fantasy world. You don't have to have, um, you know, fancy Adobe software to do fancy layouts. You don't have to have a graphic design degree, um, you can make a really, really usable and really pretty game without, you know, bending over backwards. There's lots of awesome tools out there that can help you do it um, that don't require a lot of money or time or experience just to make like make something that looks nice that people want to put their eyeballs on. I will say this because this is something I kind of care sort of about. Typography exists. Typography is beautiful <laughs> and sexy and words are beautiful and sexy. I guess not words, but text. You can make a really appealing looking layout with just text. You just got to put it in the right way. Like, for the love of God, please don't use like tiny font that no one can read unless they're like squinting with their spectacles on. I don't know where this idea of like tiny font is appealing. It's it's not. It makes me angry because because the whole point of text is you're supposed to be able to read it. So make big, <laughs> beautiful text that people can read and it'll be fine. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> another piece of advice I'm going to give is you don't have to worry about your layout until your game is made. That is good advice. And I never, ever do <laughs> True. that. Me, me neither. I'm like designing the layout as I'm writing it out. I'm like, no, I, this word is in the wrong place. I got to push it over here. I got to move the it. Don't fall. Don't. don't. Yeah, don't do that. Listen to Georgia. Yeah. That's actually really good advice. <laughs> I've read perfectly good, acceptable, comprehensive games that are just in text documents. So yes, the layout is fun. It's a it's a nice component, especially if this is a game that you're going to publish and not just play at your own table. Or even if you just want a nice game, you can look at and go, wow, I did really good. Um, but yes, it is it is not an essential part of the game writing process. So if you feel like you have to do like a super fancy layout, um, you do not. Just just write your game first. See what happens. I mean, or do them both at the same time if you really want, but don't get stuck on the layout and have it ruin your game writing process. That's very good advice. No, I'll fucking do that. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not at least 45% angry at the layout when I'm writing a game, I'm doing it wrong. Man, your uh, your your game spirit that possesses you is persnickety. Yeah, it's a little feral, but I can't tell if that's the spirit or if that's just me. 
So let's go ahead then and let's wrap it up. So we've mentioned a lot of different games. Um, we've mentioned a lot of different SRDs and a lot of different jams. Um, and so uh, check out the show notes for all of that. This is going to be um, just like a, a buck wild show notes, y'all. There's going to be a lot of good stuff in there. So definitely check it out. We'll give you some um, SRDs be- so that you can start yes. writing your own games. Yeah, absolutely. Write your own games. I hope that this was um, was encouraging or interesting for some of you out there who are have been debating making your own game. Um, it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. Before we go ahead and sign off, where can everyone find y'all's games? Well, you can find me on itch. I am predictably Dorka. And I am on itch um, at zivarights.itch.io. Rights as in like rights games. Like trans rights. No? I support Ziva rights. No, no, the wrong one. <laughs> Um, and then I'm on bappy.itch.io. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Um, we really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. What does a barbarian war criminal, an undead cultist, a pyromaniac goblin, a hot topic reject, and a bard whose family is very, very cursed all have in common? Well, that's very simple. They're all our main cast. We are Goblets and Gays, a mostly Pathfinder 2E podcast set in a homebrew world. If Pathfinder isn't your thing, we have all sorts of other awesome games for you to enjoy. Join us every Wednesday for episodes of our main campaign, Blood of Kings, as these chaotic gays attempt to locate some missing royalty. Don't forget to follow us on all social media channels at Goblets and Gays to stay up to date with our amazing projects. And remember to eat your vegetables. The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Ziva. Find us on Twitter at, at @thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Eternity Archives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Be gay! Roll dice! An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.